Welcome to Inspiration with Ike. I'm Dr. Ike Riker, Senior Pastor of Piedmont Church and CEO of Must Ministries. On this podcast, I'll bring you a monthly dose of inspiration in the most important areas of your life. It's my sincere hope that this show will serve as a resource to you and inspire you, helping you to become your personal and professional best. On today's episode, we're going to talk about money. Is there anything that's more controversial in the church today than money? What does the Bible teach about money? And what can we learn from a principle the Apostle Paul taught that's called the law of the harvest? I can tell you this, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. This is Inspiration with Ike. Hello, I'm Ike Reichert. I'm so excited to be with you today on Inspiration with Ike. This is a podcast that I'm really excited about because what I'm going to do is just take the opportunity to be able to talk to you, to be able to share ideas with you about what takes place in Scripture, to be able to share with you the idea of context in Scripture. What does it mean? What was going on at certain times in the Bible? Because it'll really help you to be able to stand the Bible uh, in a much greater way. So that's what we're going to be doing each week. So this week, I thought, why not start at the very thing that causes more controversy than just about any other thing in the life of a church or in the life of a pastor in the life of Christians than to talk about money. I mean, that's the one issue that seems to make people the most nervous is when you begin to talk about money. And what does the Bible really have to say about money? So this week, my topic is giving God's way is the best way. And hopefully, I'm going to help you to be able to take a different look today, maybe flip upside down some things in your mind when it comes to giving and what the Bible has to say and why that's so important to your life and why the Bible instructs us to give. And there's some purposes that you might not think about that are really vitally important. So let's get started today. There's this story in the Bible. It seems so out of place. It seems almost crazy that it even shows up in Scripture. Because when we think about Jesus, you know, we tend to think about the humble Jesus, the meek Jesus. We think about the great I am, that he's the good shepherd, that he's the open door. All of those wonderful images when we think about Jesus are usually images that are very peaceful, very encouraging to our life, because we all want a Savior that's going to look after us, right? Well, there's this story that's recorded in two of the Gospels, and in particular in the book of Matthew, where all of a sudden Jesus does something that seems so out of character with him, and it revolves around the issue of money. So to set the context for the story, it's taking place on the most important week in the life of Jesus that we're celebrating right now, and that is the Passion Week. That's the week that's going to start with Jesus coming over a mountain that's called the Mount of Olives, and he's going to descend down that mountain across a valley called the Kidron Valley, and then he's going to make his way up into a city called Jerusalem that sits on the hills above that valley. 
And in that city that week, there's going to be some major things that are going to take place. And sometimes we refer to that week as the Passion Week or, or the week of Christ that's his very last week on this earth. And there are certain things that happen during that week that are absolutely critical to help you to be able to understand Christianity, to help you understand the mission that Jesus had come on when he came to this earth and God wanted to redeem mankind. So we've got this great image of Jesus and we've got Jesus riding into the city and he's on a colt, he's on this donkey and he's riding into the city and you've got this beautiful picture. People are singing hosannas and shouting hosannas. Uh, they're cutting palm fronds and they're lining the roadway and Jesus comes into the city and then things are going to begin to change over the next few days. And here's what takes place, and it becomes the flashpoint literally because of money. So here's what the gospel says. Jesus goes into the temple. Now the temple is that very place where the Spirit of God resided for the Jewish people. Uh, they had a particular place within the temple called the Holy of Holies. And that was where only the high priest would go and certain other priests that were selected by a lottery system to be able to allow them to go into the Holy of Holies. So for many of those priests, it would be the trip of a lifetime to finally have the opportunity to go there into the Holy of Holies and into the temple. And there were different courts within that temple. There was a place called the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus comes into the temple and all of a sudden the meek and mild Jesus that we've always known, he suddenly changes and he begins to go up to people that have all of their wares laid out and they've got all of the money changers that are there in the temple and he begins to flip upside down the tables that they're sitting behind. Uh, as a matter of fact, one gospel account says he fashions a whip very quickly and he begins to hit people and he begins to run people out of that temple and it's a picture and a side of Jesus that we do not often see. And again, the flashpoint is over money. Uh, why is it that money was upsetting Jesus in that moment? Well, understand that the temple represented where God resides. And so when Jesus is inside of that temple, he looks and he sees some things that are going on that shouldn't have been there. He sees a group of people that are charging exorbitant rates to be able to exchange currency from other countries into temple currency. And not only are they exchanging, but they're taking a healthy cut of the profit and they're making a profit by overcharging people simply for exchanging their money. They wanted to be able to go into the temple and they wanted to be able to give their offering. They wanted to be able to give their tithe. But here are people in the outer court before they even have a chance to give that are saying, no, you've got to exchange your money for the money that we have. And oh, by the way, we're going to take a cut of that money. And then they had the animals that were there in the temple that were going to be sacrificed on the brazen altar. And so they were charging, again, exorbitant prices. They were price gouging the people who had come there to worship, and they were charging them enormous prices for the animals that would be sacrificed. And when Jesus saw all of this, 
it just absolutely set him off because he said, what you've done is you've turned my father's house uh, into a den of thieves. Uh, here you are, all you're concerned about is making a profit, and people are trying to come here and they're trying to worship. And so it really set Jesus off in a way that you do not see him characterized in any other part of Scripture. And so it's this very, very dramatic moment that takes place in the temple. So he's flipping upside down the tables. Uh, he's running people out of the temple. The Bible says he even goes over the court of the Gentiles, which was how they were bringing their merchandise into the temple. And he begins to physically block people from coming in there. And then he makes a declarative statement. He says, you know, what you've done is you've turned my father's house into this den of thieves when my father's house and the temple was supposed to be the place of prayer. That's what Jesus said the temple was supposed to be, was a place where prayer was taking place, but instead you've got commerce taking place. And Jesus is not happy about it, and so everyone, he just annihilates. So now let me talk to you about so how does that apply to me? So here's this story, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, why in the world would I care about Jesus coming into a temple and flipping upside down some tables and running some people out of the building and saying, you know, your motives are misguided? Why would that apply to my life? How could there be any possible type of connection to me? And it's a lot more of a straight line than you might think. You see, when we become a Christian, what we do is we exchange that which God hates, which is our sin, for that which God loves, which is His righteousness and His goodness. And the way that that takes place theologically for us is that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus made a statement once. He said, there's someone coming that's greater than I am. And what He was talking about was the Holy Spirit was one day going to make His appearance in the lives of each and every believer. And that's why Jesus would make such an audacious statement, Him being the Son of God, and to make an assertion like, well, there's someone that's coming that's greater than I am. Because the Holy Spirit has that opportunity to be able to live in the life of every single believer. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, in other words, that presence of God, that's exactly what existed in the temple in the time of Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't dwell in the lives of believers. Instead, the Holy Spirit was there inside the temple. And so they had created a system that actually kept people from being able to fully experience the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was challenging. And that's what Jesus chastised. So get the image of him flipping upside down all of those tables. And now let's apply it to your life and let's apply it to my life. Because what would Jesus do if he came into our hearts right now and into our life, and if he was in that mode of flipping upside down some tables, what are some of the tables that he would flip upside down in your life? And here's what I believe with all of my heart. One of them would be the table that concerns what you believe about money and about what you do with your money. 
We talk about that a lot on personal and professional best, about learning to be good stewards of your money, about making wise choices in life, and looking and preparing your life for downstream, not just spending all of your money right now, but being wise enough to think about how am I going to be able to do the things in the future that I really want to do. And so on personal and professional best, you're always getting great coaching about what you do with the money that you've been blessed with in your life. And so today, I want to show you that God's way is the best way. And I want to take a very simple scripture, and I just want to break it apart for you because, quite honestly, this is a principle that's taught here that is universal. And please understand what I'm saying. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, uh, whether you're someone that believes in God or you're uh, totally an atheist or maybe you're an agnostic at best, the principle that I'm going to share with you is a principle that goes across all belief systems and even no belief systems because it is a built-in law of the universe. And you know those built-in laws of the universe? It really doesn't matter whether you and I believe in them or not. They are operative. Let me give you an example. Let's say you went up to a really tall building, and you get up on top of that building, and you decide that you're going to challenge the law of gravity. Maybe you think the law of gravity is not fair. Maybe you think that you can even defy the law of gravity, and so you're going to jump off the top of that building, and you're going to defy gravity, and you're not going to fall. Well, let me tell you, you, you can have the best thoughts. You can even say, I don't even believe in gravity. I refuse to acknowledge that gravity exists. And guess what? You're going to find out that you were wrong. Because when you jump off of that building, that law is going to take effect. And you're going to begin to plummet toward the earth. And even if all of a sudden in the middle of that fall, you decide, you know what? I was really wrong about this. And there really is gravity. There's not a lot that you can do to change it because you're going to experience the consequence of the choice of, I'm going to jump off the top of this building. And the consequence is going to be that you're going to have a really quick landing. It's really not the fall that's so tough. It's that really quick landing that really gets you every time. And you're going to find out that the law of gravity is operative in your life, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether you even believe in it or not, you're, you're going to find out that Isaac Newton was right and that there is a law of gravity in this world. And you can go on and on with all the different laws that exist in our universe. And so there is a law that the Apostle Paul taught about. And when he's teaching this, it's a really cool time because there's a church in Corinth, that uh, a city in Turkey, where Paul is going there and he's going to try to work with this church and he's going to try to help build something special for God there. And the difficulty is that the people in Corinth really do not have the financial wherewithal to be able to do this. And so they're struggling. They're going, well, where in the world is the money going to come from? We want to be able to take these steps. We want to do some things, but we're not sure how to get there. Do you ever have that problem in your life? Uh, maybe there's that home that you really want to buy. Now, I can tell you some really great folks that can help you with your mortgage if you decide to do that at Supreme Lending. I promise you that. But you've got that dream, and you want to be able to do something. You want to be able to accomplish it. Well, how are you going to get there? 
How are you going to fund the vision? How are you going to fund the dream? For some of you, it may be going back to college and you really want to be able to go to college. You really want to be able to get a degree and you, you want to be able to seek that out. And you're going, how in the world do I fund it? For some of you, you're in another stage of your life. You've got teenagers and you're thinking now, how in the world am I going to be able to fund their college education? How, how are we going to get the dollars for that? Others of you that are older, maybe you're thinking about retirement at some point. How am I going to be able to save the money? What am I going to be able to do that's going to help me to be able to achieve my dream? So this story, trust me, it is really, really relevant to your life because Paul is going to take this law and he's going to break it apart. And of course, Paul being you know a master when it comes to communication, he talks to them about something that everybody could understand in that day and time with it being in particular an agricultural driven economy that they lived in. Most everybody knew about agriculture. So what he does is he takes a metaphor from that world and he compares it to our own lives, and he talks about how this group of people in a place called Macedonia, they decided to help out those people over in Corinth, so here's what they did. They made an investment in them, not unlike what we do in our world today, when maybe there's a country that's struggling, and we want to infuse them with some cash and help them to be able to get on their feet, or a lot of people who are involved in missions, they talk about, you know, microfinancing things, and they help people in other countries. You know, sometimes it's as simple as giving them a goat that allows them to be able to get milk, that allows them to maybe to be able to produce cheese, or maybe it's giving people people, you know, a flock of chickens and you help them, but it's called microfinancing. And so what happens is people who have uh, more are able to help people who have less. And that's what Paul is going to do for this mission church that's there in the city of Corinth. And he's going to teach them about these people called the Macedonians. And he's going to say, even though they've never visited here, even though they've never been around you, they have this great heart. And this heart is filled with generosity. And they wanted to be able to help you. And so the way that Paul explains it to them is he teaches them the law of the harvest. And so that's what I want to do the rest of the program today is just share with you some ideas here that I want to pull up and I'm going to take you to some scripture to help you get there. So here's what Paul had to say. He says uh, to this group of people in Corinth, he says, now look, this is what I'm saying to you. The person who sows sparingly in other words, they don't, they don't sow a lot of seed. They're very sparing on what they're doing. He said, well, the end result when you sow sparingly is you're going to reap sparingly. Think about it not just in agricultural terms and not just in financial terms, but think about it in the area of relationships. You know, if you sow sparingly, let's say you don't take time to build friends and to be able to build friendships because can I tell you something? If you're going to have great friends in your life, it's going to require time. Sometimes being a friend to someone can become a messy proposition, right? I mean, if you're going to be a friend, then you want to make 
sure that you're there for them in each and every situation where you can possibly help them. And what you're doing with your time is you're sowing your time into your friends. So again, when you think about what Paul's saying, don't just think strictly in the financial sense. Think about everywhere in your life about how can you be a person that goes around and you're sowing into the lives of others. Sometimes it's sharing your knowledge and sharing your wisdom and sharing your insights with people that you're sowing into their lives. You're sowing time with them. You're sowing ideas with them. You're sowing encouragement with them. And those are the things to me that are absolutely so vital. And boy, I can just tell you personally, I am so thankful for the people through the years in my life in particular, there would just be stages in my life where it seemed like people would just come in and they were almost like a friend that was sent to me for a season. I mean, they were there in that season of my life and they were able to help me go through things. Uh, for instance, uh, I lost a wife and a child during childbirth and God sent me a really remarkable man in my life named Dr. Ron Braun. Uh, I had brought Ron into the church that I was pastoring at the time. And honestly, when I brought Ron in about 18 months ahead of my event in my life, I thought I was doing something for the people in my church. I thought, man, I'm going to bring in a really top counselor who's going to develop a counseling practice here, and he's going to bring in other therapists, and we're going to be there, and we're going to help other people who are really struggling in life. And so we were sowing something by bringing Dr. Ron Braun into our congregation. Well, you know, somewhere along the way, I kind of forgot that I was a part of that congregation, and all of a sudden, when I go through the experience of losing a wife and a child, Ron Braun became my lifeline, and he sowed into my life, and I was able then to take what I learned during some very dark days, and now here 30-plus years later, I'm still taking the things that I learned during those times, and I sow it into the lives of others who are struggling. Many of you who are listening to this broadcast have been some of the people that I've taken the opportunity to sow into your life. So I want you to understand that sowing is more than just finances, but that's where we're going to focus. But it can be your time. It can be your talent. It can be your touch. Maybe you go to a, a place that uh, is a homeless shelter and you come in and you sow some of your time there to help people. So the Apostle Paul is setting up a principle when he's talking to this church because he's going to challenge them with something. You've got a group of people who are giving very, very liberally, he's saying, and they're going to invest in your life. And then he's going to challenge them to remember that one day they're going to get the opportunity to turn around and to be able to sow it forward. So the sowing and reaping is really, really crucial. So he goes on and he says, now look, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And then he is the master of contrast. He flips it around and he says, and the one who sows bountifully, well, that person is going to turn around and they're going to reap bountifully. And so along here comes the law of the harvest. Now, Paul also puts in something here about motive, and it's really about emotional intelligence as well, because he says this, each one, talking about each person, you must do as you purposed in your heart. You see, I wouldn't encourage you to give today because you give out of guilt. 
I wouldn't encourage you to be a person that's giving today because you feel like that somehow God is going to punish you if you do not give. You know, kind of the opposite of getting the reward. You're, you're going the other way and saying, well, you know, I'm afraid if I don't do certain things, then I'm going to turn around and get punished. And what Paul goes to here is master psychology because he says, look, it's the way that you're purposing in your heart. He said, let every man give that way. So some people give in different ways. Think about it. There's some people who believe that they're supposed to give a tithe. And for them, they go, well, that's 10%. There's other people I know who go, no, you know what I want to do is I want to give 20%. Some people believe, well, I ought to give 5%. I'm often asked this question as a pastor. So pastor, do I tithe on the gross or do I tithe on the net? And I'm always asked those kinds of questions. And I try to give an answer back that gets more back to the heart because it's never about the amount of a gift. What it is about is about the purpose of your heart in the way that you give your gift. Again, giving your time, giving your talent, giving your treasure, giving your touch. You want to make sure that your heart is right in the way that you are giving to other people. And so he said, I don't want you to give grudgingly. I don't want you to give under compulsion. In other words, don't be a grouchy giver. Uh, if you're a grouchy giver, you're going to get robbed of what you're wanting anyway. So, you know, uh, if you're going to give with a misapplied motive, then it's going to rob you of the very thing that's going to be your greatest reward. And that is the feeling that you have when you know that you're doing something for other people that you may never meet, that you may never encounter in your life, but yet you feel compelled to be able to give, and you're compelled in the right way. So he says, look, don't, don't give grudgingly and be a grouchy giver. Don't give under compulsion thinking, well, God's going to get me if I do not give. Here's the way that God says we're supposed to give. Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. As a matter of fact, let, let me push it a little further from you. What he's actually saying is God loves a hilarious giver. That's what the word, if you take the Greek word there and you tease it out, that's what it's saying. God loves people who hilariously give. They, they, get, uh, they get tickled about it. They get excited about it. It brings a smile uh, to their face. And, you know, it warms their heart that they go, wow, I'm going to get to give and I'm going to get to invest this way. And so it, it's a beautiful way to be able to live life. I absolutely promise you that. And then he goes on and he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will always have sufficiency in everything. So, so here's the deal. Do we trust God? Do we believe God? Because if we trust and we believe God, he's saying right here, number one, get the motive right in your heart. And I don't think with God it's about the percentage. I don't think with God it's about what the gross amount really is. What matters is what was your motive in the way that you were giving? Uh, did it make you excited about having this opportunity to be able to invest in other people? And Paul said, when you do this, he said, what God's going to do is God's going to turn around and he's going to make grace abound in your life. And he said, and then you're going to have sufficiency in everything. Now, I want you to hold that thought right there. Because at first, when we think about it, we're talking about sowing and reaping. And, and yet he's turning around 
And if we're just saying finances, because that's what he was talking about, he was talking about how this group of people that the Corinthians had never met, the Macedonians, how they had given, and Paul said they gave liberally. In other words, they gave beyond their capacity to give to be able to help this group of people. And Paul says, because of what they did, let me tell you what, God is going to make grace abound to them. And he's saying, God's going to make grace abound to you. And he's saying that in everything that you and I do, our relationships, our friendship, uh, in our career path, he's saying he's going to turn around and he's going to give you there an abundance in your life. He didn't say you're just going to barely skate by. He didn't say you're going to barely make ends meet. You're going to get by the skin of your teeth. Instead, he says, you're going to have an abundance. Now, now catch what he says next, for every good deed. In other words, you and I have been put on this earth, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that you and I are God's workmanship. And that we were created in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to listen to this. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That, that's why we're on this earth. Uh, you and I are here to do good works. Uh, we're here to help build those Habitat for Humanity houses. We're here to help raise money for the American Cancer Society. We're here to be able to invest in a must ministries we, like you do at Supreme. We're, we're here to be able to do all of these wonderful things. We're, we're going to be given the supply and we were created in Christ Jesus. In other words, we became a, a believer, not just so that we keep things to ourselves. That would be pretty greedy, wouldn't it? And, and you know what? I've never met a greedy person that was a happy person. The most miserable people that I've ever met in my life were the most miserly people. They just thought it was all about them, and all they wanted to do was focus on themselves. Those people are never happy. And you know what? They're never going to get enough to make them happy because you can never get enough of something you really don't need to make you happy for what you really desire. And what we all really desire is to be able to make an impact in the lives of other people. And so Paul is saying here, look, when you do this kind of giving, when you do this kind of sowing, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to come back in some amazing ways. Now, one day I'll come back on uh, one of the podcasts and live streaming, and I'll explain to you in greater detail what the law of the harvest is. But just for the sake here, uh, bullet points for you today, something for you to be thinking about, and then I'll unpack these. Let me just share with you what some of those things are really about when it comes to the law of the harvest. Again, maybe today is the day that Jesus starts flipping over some tables in your life. Um, he flips over your table about what you think about giving. He flips over that table about uh, what you really think about when you think about money. And again, you say, but I, that was in the temple. You're right. But you know what the bigger deal is today? It's, your, it's you as a believer that's the temple of God. You literally become the temple of God. What Solomon built in the temple, what Herod rebuilt when it was destroyed, and then others rebuilt again for the Spirit of God to reside, we don't have that anymore. We don't need that anymore God doesn't reside inside of a church or a particular denomination. God resides in the heart 
of every single believer. So you see, you are the temple. And it does matter what you think in your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes this declaration. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You can't get past what you really are in your heart. So the laws of the harvest are simple. We will reap only if we sow. You know, if you do not sow, don't sit back and complain, you know, because you've had a crop failure. You never bothered to plant anything. And whatever it is you sow, you're going to reap. You don't believe it? Go home and try being hateful to your spouse tonight and see what you get back from your spouse. You'll probably get hatefulness. But you go home and you're kind and you're supportive to your spouse, you're probably going to get that right back. And we're going to reap what we sow. So we're, we're only going to reap if we sow something. And then we're going to reap what we've sown. That's what we're going to get back. And then the law of the harvest is you always reap more than you sow. You always reap more. You know, think of it this way. You take a kernel of corn and you put it in the ground and you fertilize it and you water it and it grows up. And it doesn't produce one kernel of corn. Instead, it produces a stalk. And on that stalk are several ears of corn that have those different kernels that are there. We always reap more than we sow. And we reap in proportion, proportion to what we sow as well. Uh, the more that we're willing to get out there and sow, the more that it's going to come back to us. Matter of fact, I would make this assertion to you. You can never, ever, ever outgive God. I believe it with all of my heart and soul. And when we find those ways to be able to give and invest in the lives of others, and we're not worried about us receiving a harvest, we're just doing it for the right reasons, we're fixated on making a contribution and not just gaining a reward, it's amazing what God can do in your life. And we reap later than we've sown. So if you're trying to do some things right in the area of your finances, give it some time. Maybe you're saving for college. Maybe you're saving right now for your retirement. Maybe it doesn't seem like much. Well, you're going to reap later than you've sown. And if we maintain, then we're going to be able to keep what has been sown. And so it's always an ongoing process. And ultimately, it's God that gives the increase. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, I've had a wonderful time just getting to talk to you about God and about His Word and that God's way is the very best way. And I hope that you'll invite some of your friends to join me and join you with Inspiration with Ike each month. We're going to be rolling out for you our social media plan, a website that's going to be out there in the future. There's going to be some wonderful, incredible ways for you to be able to use this particular broadcast to be able to help encourage other people. So every month it's just going to simply be my conversation with you about how to be able to inspire you and encourage you to be your personal and professional best. God bless you and have a fantastic day.